You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Amen. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we started our series on the Sermon on the Mount last week, and so as you're turning, just kind of a recap from what we looked at last week. We were in the first section of the Sermon on the Mount talking about the Beatitudes, and so we looked at um, each one of those last week kind of in a summary format, and just kind of talking through the fact that the reason that I chose to go here after coming out of the Minor Prophets is I believe Jesus' teaching here uh, really connects well with what we've already been seeing um, in the Minor Prophets, right? Specifically in the fact that Jesus in this passage tells us he doesn't come to um, abolish the law or to get rid of the law, but he comes to, to establish it, to fulfill it, right? And uh, he talks even referencing the prophets and their message and um, the persecution that they endured and how we may uh, experience similar persecution. So I feel like it was really appropriate because I do believe it gives us further clarity on how to do some of the things that we were learning about in the, in the Minor Prophets, right? Like when we talked about walking humbly, showing intentional kindness, doing what's right in the face of persecution. Um, but Jesus kind of steps it up further, and we were seeing this towards the end of the Minor Prophets, that God's not, just a, God's not just concerned about the external aspects of what we're doing, right? He's very much uh, concerned about the internal aspects of who we are. And so while we saw at the end of the Minor Prophets, uh, Israel coming back from uh, isolation and uh, captivity. They, they were finally getting around to rebuilding the temple, finally getting around to getting back into their worship. But even then, their sacrifices weren't uh, being offered with a real heart for repentance or a real desire to worship, right? They were doing it more from an external basis of just trying to satisfy or appease God. And so God was correcting that. And so we see Jesus kind of steps in here too and has that same perspective as he addresses the righteousness of the Pharisees, these external things that were being done, but the disconnect that was present there with the internal peace, with their hearts, right? And so we saw last week uh, what it meant to be poor in spirit, what it meant to be uh, classified as those who mourn, uh, the meek, the hungry. Uh, we also saw what it meant to, to treat others with mercy as we've been treated with mercy, uh, to be genuine in our motives towards others from a, a heart of purity, uh, to help others see each other as peacemakers, right? That we have a responsibility to be peacemakers and to help work peace in the situations that we find ourselves in. And then we talked about all of that, doing all of those things, making all of that effort, it may lead to persecution, right? It may lead towards people hating you. Um, and we need to be ready for that. We need to be okay with that. We need to embrace that. Uh, reason being is that we find ourselves in good company if we're treated that way, right? Because Jesus says, look, this is how they treated the prophets in the Old Testament. They came preaching this message. They came living this lifestyle. And some of them were hated and persecuted for it. All right? That brings us now to uh, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And I want to read to you our text this morning. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our summary sentence for today. As Christians, we are called to make our environments better through the charity we provide 
while also providing clarity to our environments with the light we shine, with all being done for the purpose of seeing God glorified. As Christians, we're called to make our, envir- our, our environments better through the charity that we provide, while also providing clarity to our environments with the light we shine, with all of this being done for the purpose of seeing God glorified. For our kids, Christians are like salt because they make things better, and Christians are like light because they point people to Jesus. All right, so there's two analogies, two illustrations that Jesus is using here. And and I think they have different aspects of what Jesus is trying to communicate, right? It's not the same analogy. He's not trying to make the same point. I think he's making complementary points here as far as how this works together. These, These things go together, this idea of us acting like salt, this idea of us acting like light in the environments that we find ourselves in, right? We've talked before uh, I, I want you to kind of think in terms of your point of contacts uh, in this life being um, your, your home life, right? Your church family, your, your neighborhood, your hobbies, um, your extended family. Um, to, to kind of think in terms of how do I impact those areas of my life? How do I impact the place where I live? How do I impact the place that I work at? How do I impact my extended family? How do I impact the people that um, are a part of my hobbies and interests, Right? How, how, do I, how do I act as salt? How do I act as light in those environments? Jesus is, is intentional here about communicating some key aspects of how he thinks about his followers. Um, I think it's important from uh, kind of an English language understanding to see what he is actually saying here in regards to these two sentences. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Notice he's not commanding them to be salt or to be light, right? He's not telling his followers, hey, I need you to start being salt. He's not telling his disciples, I need you to be a light, right? He declares this to be true of them, right? These are indicative statements. This is true about you. This is fact about you. You are salt. You are light. Why do I, why do I stress that? Why do I make that, that distinction there? Because I want us to see that Jesus is the one who gives us our identity and our purpose. Our identity and our purpose in this life is rooted in what Jesus says about us. Right? We don't get to pick and choose this. We talked about this when we were going through our Image of God series, right? That our value, our worth, our purpose, our identity, those are things that are declared to us by God in creating us in his image. Right? And so Jesus is making statements here, uh, not telling us to do certain things, but telling us what we are or who we are. You are salt. You are light. Now, the implication there is that we are salt and we are to be salty on the earth. We are light and we are to be bright on the earth. But I think it's important before we even get into the text for us to see that we've got to embrace this identity humbly. Why? Because it's a little provocative in the fact that Jesus calls himself the light of the world, right? We saw this in our study in John chapter 8 and chapter 9, right? Chapter 8, verse 12, chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. And now he identifies us in the same way here in Matthew. He says, you are the light of the world. John, he says, I'm the light of the world. Well, it certainly gives us a picture of how aligned we are to be with Christ, right? When we come to Christ, we are in Christ, and and we're finding our identity and our worth in what Christ says about us, right? 
And our identity now is rooted in Christ and we're being conformed into his image. So it's very appropriate, I believe, for Jesus to distinguish us this way. He's the light and now he calls us the light of the world. But we, we embrace that humbly. But I think there would be a part of us that would try to maybe push that off a little bit, right? To say, well, well Jesus is the light of the world. But if Jesus calls us the light of the world, so it's okay to embrace that identity. It's okay to embrace that responsibility, but to do so humbly. But we also have to embrace this identity urgently because we are the way and the means for God to carry out his plan of saving the world. And there is no other plan. Right? This is, this is the, the overwhelming satisfaction that comes when we come to Christ in that our identity and purpose really become something that we discover now for the very first time because we're rooted in darkness, we're born into sin, we don't really understand why we're here or who we are, right? And then the gospel answers all those questions for us, right? It tells us who we are, right? We're created in the image of God and we're sons of God now because we come to him in faith. Then we get this unbelievable purpose that extends far greater than just what this earth would tell us our purposes might be, right? To work a job, to get married, to have kids and uh, to die uh, in a state of retirement where we can kind of enjoy the end of our life fully without having to work, right? Like we get this unbelievable purpose where we get to uh, be the channel or the means where God thereby uses the gospel message to reach others, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't save people as his primary way of doing things uh, through visions and dreams, right? Even when we see visions and dreams being used in the Bible, they are used as an introductory means to get that individual to a human being who can communicate the gospel, right? God uses human beings to communicate the excellencies of who he is, right? Through verbal format, through written format, so that people can come to know him. We are his means of saving the world as far as the communication of the message, right? He sends Jesus who does everything necessary to save us, and then he tells us to tell others about it to be salt and to be light so that people are drawn to him, to give glory to him as, he sees our, as they see our good works being manifested through our life. And that's the plan. And there's no backup plan, right? Jesus isn't up there saying, all right, if these human beings mess this up, I'll just send, you know, 10,000 angels down here and we'll have a big evangelistic revival meeting with angels preaching and then everybody can get saved that's supposed to get saved right? Like his means to salvation is for human beings to communicate to other human beings the glories of the gospel. And so we embrace this role urgently because this is the way that God carries out his plan. We are the salt. We are the light. We are the channel where good works are to be performed so that others look to those good works. And as the end of uh, verse 16 says, give glory to your father who is in heaven. So let's jump right in and see what does Jesus mean by calling us salt? What does Jesus mean by calling us light? Number one, as salt, we make improvements to our environments with charity. As salt, we make improvements to our environments, right? Our home environment, our work environment, our, our environment where our hobbies are practiced and lived out, um, our job environment, our school environment. We make improvements to our environments with charity. To kind of summarize that, wherever we go, we make that environment better. Like that, like that should be what Christians are known for. And it's what we've been known for uh, 
throughout history at a lot of times, right? There's certainly the, the bruises and the bumps and the, and the skid marks where, where the church as a whole has messed up at times and has become known for things that it should never been known for. And I believe that that's partly because Jesus allows the wheat and the tares to exist um, right next to each other, right? And so we've got people who are doing things in the name of Christianity or under the umbrella of the church, and, and they're, not, they're not in participation with the light, right? Um, they're still in darkness, but they're able to, to do things in the name of Christianity that put a, a bad mark on Christianity, right? But if you think through history, like... Um, hospitals and universities and orphanages, like most of these charitable organizations are rooted in the church reading through the scriptures and saying, these are things that we need to do and to implement and them leading the charge for a lot of those things, right? Um, That's on the big grand scale. But as individuals, individual believers, as we leave here in just a few minutes and head out to our week and we go in, in a variety of different directions, I believe when Jesus calls us to be salt, he is, calls, he is calling us to be an element that improves the environments that we find ourselves in, right? Um, we all know that, that salt does that for food, right? Like when we think about the primary purposes for salt, we think maybe more specifically in, in areas and locations and in times where refrigeration is not available, right, for, for preservation of food. But most of us have the benefit where we don't have to overly saturate things with salt to keep it fresh and keep it good and keep it edible, right? We can just throw it in the fridge, throw it in the freezer, and pull it out whenever we want it. So for us, when we think of salt, we think of it primarily making things better that we're eating, right? We've all sat down and tried to eat a dish where salt was seemingly absent from the ingredients, right? And you taste it, and you're just like, well, there's not any taste here, right? Like either I have COVID or there's no salt here. And so you're immediately reaching for the salt as kind of a temporary home uh, test to see, do I have taste or not, right? Um, and it's like our kids even start to pick up on that early on as they see adults, like, salting their food, right? Um, Mally's known for this at the dinner table at my house, right? She sees somebody reach for the salt. She's like, I want some of that, right? And she treats it like sugar more than salt. And so she thinks, I mean, she's just got to coat it, right? We're at um, Red Robin last night eating, and uh, they've got great steak fries, but the steak fries just go another level when you put the Red Robin seasoning on it. But COVID times, you have to request it because it's not just sitting there on your table, right? So I requested the seasoning salt. They bring us in a little cup, and they set it in front of me, and Mally's sitting right next to me, and I'm kind of watching her out of the corner of my eye, and I start, you know, sprinkling some of it, and she, she stopped everything she's doing. She's like, what's that? And I was like, well, it's seasoned salt. She's like, I want some of that, right? And so she starts just spreading it all over her fries, right? Because salt makes things better, right? It enhances the flavor. It, it takes something that's maybe okay and takes it to the next level, Right? It improves it, makes it more tasteful, makes it more flavorful. And I believe that that's what, what, what Jesus has in mind here when he's commanding us to be that type of individual in the environments that we find ourselves in, right? When I was at Mount Gilead, and this is starting to become like a long time ago, where it used to be when we first planted the church, it was just a few years ago, right? And now it's been 12 years, I think, since I first got to Mount Gilead, which is crazy to think about. Um, there's a lot of days that in those four years, a lot of uh, sermons that I preached, there's a few days that really stand out to me. One of those days, and I, I want to brag on one of our church members because of, I, I think they're this type of person. I, I think they're, they're salt in any environment that they really come into. Because I was in a season at, at Mount Gilead where I was discouraged. I felt like 
I was maybe having trouble, and I can't remember all the issues, but I remember having trouble connecting with the youth. I wasn't sure that, that we were moving forward in the ways that, that I felt like God wanted us to move forward. And there was just a lot of things happening. And I was at a, at a point of discouragement in my ministry at that time. And um, I remember preaching, and getting, I got finished preaching on a Wednesday night, and I was like, that was terrible. Like, that was just, that was no good. I don't know if I even know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't know if, I, I'm just, I was just at a really just state where I just wasn't, I was just frustrated, right? And it was, as I was kind of walking back to the back, we were going to sing and worship, that John Mark walked in. And John Mark had just come home from uh, his uh, mission to Poland. He'd been gone for like two years. And I don't think I'd, I actually knew when he was coming home. I, I just knew like we were around the time when he was supposed to come home. And he just kind of showed up. And it was like this breath of fresh air for me. I mean, it was like salt walked into the room and just made me feel like well, I can do this because John Mark just has that kind of impact and influence on me, whatever environment I, I find myself in. And he didn't have to say a word, right? And most of you know that he doesn't say a whole lot of words, right? Um, but there's just something about John Mark's presence that to me is like salt in, in that situation, right? Like it just, he just makes the thing better, right? You could be going on a fishing trip. You can be sitting at the beach, I've done both of those things with him. It's just better when John Mark's there, right? The words that he does say are always uplifting, always encouraging, always insightful and full of wisdom, right? Um, I I think Maggie hit a home run when she married him, right? My only criticism of John Mark over the years has ever been, hey, when are you going to ask Maggie out? Why are you taking so long to ask her out, right? And if that's the only flaw that the guy's ever had, and again, that was based on my timing and not God's timing, so it's not really an official flaw, right? But for me, John Mark is that type of guy. He's, he's, a, he's a salty guy, and not from the negative side that we sometimes say that somebody's salty, right? He's the type of guy that just comes into an environment and just makes it better. His presence just makes it better. And I remember that Wednesday night at main event at a point where I was discouraged, and then I looked up and saw him back, back as a part of our ministry. It was just like this, this jolt in the arm that was just like, hey, I can do this. Like, I've got, I've got somebody who I can, I can walk through this with kind of a thing. And I believe Jesus wants us to be those type of individuals, right? So number one, Christians, so let's look at the, the dual role that we talked about salt playing. Christians preserve their environments from maximum evil. All right, so we don't think of salt as much as a, as a preservative element. But if Jesus means both here, I, I do think that Christians play this role of preserving their environments from maximum evil, meaning if we trust Christ, the world should notice a distinct flavor or uniqueness to our life, and then our presence ought to temper the evil around us if we're living out our faith graciously. Meaning that our presence is, is kind of, we play a role as salt in that we should keep our environments going, going fully rotten, right? If, you know, the Christian presence within a secular presence where you know, everybody's in sin, everybody's in bond, nobody's trying to follow Jesus, right? Like, we help keep an environment from going fully rotten. Now, you've probably been in situations where um, maybe somebody is talking or making a joke or referencing something, and then they realize that you're there, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I, I didn't mean to say that. Like, I know you're here, right? I, I get that sometimes because I'm a pastor, Right? Um, this has happened before at the hunting property uh, where I go to. Some of the guys, like, they've, they've used some language before, and then they'll kind of stop themselves and like, oh, I'm sorry, like, I know you're a pastor, right? 
And I don't know about you, but typically my response is to, to try to downplay that, right? Like, hey, you talk however you want to. Like, you don't have to worry about offending me, right? And, and that feels like maybe the right response. And until I was studying this passage today, I never really thought about maybe that being the wrong response, right? Maybe the only thing that I would want to change about what they say about me is not, hey, because you're a pastor, but just, let's just take it down a little, just because you're a Christian, right? Like I'm going to change how I talk. I'm going to change what I reference. I'm going to change how I joke and laugh and the things that I reference because I know that those things aren't part of your life, right? I, th- I think that should be okay. Now, what we don't want is for people to feel like they have to do that because we're going to judge them, right? Condemn them. But if, if we're living out our faith graciously, right, and we're showing mercy and, and love and, and charity and kindness to individuals around us, it should, be, it should be a thing that we long for where people would say, you know what, I'm going to adjust my behavior because you're here. Because, um, because I recognize that this thing might be offensive to you, and I don't want to offend you. Right? And for us to be okay with that. Because we, our presence, I think, is meant to keep our environments from going fully rotten. Right? But I think what Jesus means even further than that, because the passage references The flavor aspect. All right, it says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Christians enhance their environments with love and grace. So we should preserve our environments, right? We should, we should be kind of a buffer um, uh, of allowing evil to just be tolerated and sin to just go on, right? Like we should be a buffer for that. We preserve our environments. But we also go another step with enhancing our environments with our love and our grace. We make our environments better. A salty seasoning of grace is to be a defining quality of our speech. We see this in Colossians chapter 4, right? Look what Paul says in verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, I was thinking back to what we saw last week about our role as a peacemaker. I'm just going to tell you, you can't be a peacemaker without seasoning your speech with grace. Right? As we, try to, as we try to be a peacemaker, whether it's I've done something to you, you've done something to me, I'm taking the initiative to try to fix it, or if I see something going on between two other people and I'm trying to mediate and help that fix, be fixed, right? My speech has to be seasoned with grace or that's never going to result in peace. Right? Paul says that, that our speech, particularly towards outsiders, has to be seasoned with salt. It has to be gracious as we seek to know how to answer each person. The ESV study Bible in, in the notes here on Colossians 4, it says, it is assumed that we will be vitally involved in our communities and have ample opportunities to interact with outsiders in a way to commend them to the gospel. It's assumed that we will be vitally involved in our communities, have ample opportunities to interact with outsiders in a way to commend them to the gospel, right? So Paul's saying it here. Jesus is saying it back in Matthew 5, that we are to have involvement with outsiders. We're to have involvement with this world, with our communities in such a way where our actions can, can commend people or lead people to the gospel. Now, as I was thinking about this, what are some distinct ways of living in our environments that will enhance the experience for others, right? Like, how do I, 
how do I live my faith out in such a way where the environments that I find myself in, whether that's at home, whether that's at work, whether that's um, at play, you know, with our hobbies and interests, uh, whether it's within our neighborhood, how do we live in such a way where, where we make it better, right? Some things that I think are counteractive to what you typically find in, in our culture today, right? If we're living out our faith with an attitude of humility, I, I think we, we enhance our environments, right? Because um, we all wrestle with pride, right? We all wrestle with a desire for self-glory. So to be an individual who's not concerned about that, to be an individual who doesn't need the credit for the accomplishment, and that's counteractive to what we see in our culture, right? To have somebody who, who can do the right thing, that can work hard, can can accomplish what they're supposed to accomplish and then not get their feelings hurt or get angry and mad if credit's not given to them, right? To fully embrace what Jesus says, hey, don't view it as though you're working for an earthly master. View it as though you're working for me and know that your reward's coming, right? To me, that's, that's a distinct way where we can make our environment better, right? If we're living it out in humility. I think secondly, uh, from the aspect of purity, Right? We, we live in a culture, and this is just going to continue to rot and erode, I think, until Jesus comes back, where impurity becomes more the norm, particularly in our work environments. Right? We continue to see more and more marriages that are broken. And, and, and more often than not, it's tied to impurity within the marriage. Right? For us to be individuals that take uh, our purity and our integrity so seriously— to put up parameters to where uh, that can never be questioned and never be compromised, right? That only makes, that only makes the environment better for our family that, that needs us to, to, to strive for purity, right? But also for the environments of other families that are involved, right? I don't, I don't take lightly the fact that, that I work with a bunch of women in my school, Right? I need to make sure that I put things in place to where my family's protected, but also the families of each one of those ladies that's representing their husbands and their kids are protected as well, right? Um, next, next thing that I kind of wrote down is respect. Can we treat others with the immense value that they deserve? Service and hard work. Can we do the jobs that nobody else wants to do? You'll remember um, back when we were in John, we were talking about Jesus and him uh, washing the disciples' feet, and we talked about just the, the concept of being people who do jobs that nobody else wants to do, right? Um, I was working in my office this week. I had one of my staff members come in to ask me a question. Um, it was tied to a job that needs to be completed by somebody who recently quit working at Trinity, right? And as we're dialoguing, like, I just became very frustrated, and I kind of let my frustration out, not on the staff member, but just on the situation in general. Um, she kind of expressed some frustration, too. I, I ended up texting her later, and I said, hey, I'm sorry that you caught me in, in a position like that, where I was just expressing and venting frustration. And, you know, she, she kind of responded and said, you know, I'm trying to, to live out what you were preaching about. I'm just going to do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Obviously, the person who left didn't want to do that job anymore right? And so it was convicting for me because it was like, hey, that's my sermon, right? Like, that's, that's what I was teaching, and you were listening, and, and now you're teaching it back to me, which is something I absolutely needed to hear at the time, because it's like, you know what? I do. I do need to be able to do this job. I need to work it and, and accomplish it and do it without grumbling and complaining, 
right? That's a piece of that we're seeing in Philippians 2 right now in our D groups, if you're studying through that chapter, right? That we don't grumble and complain. Why? Because we're just supposed to shine as lights in the world, right? We're supposed to be counteractive to what's the norm. It's the norm for people to complain. It's the norm for people to grumble, right? It's the norm for people to be dissatisfied with their circumstances. But if you can put people in those environments that are content, that don't grumble and complain, that are satisfied with the sovereignty of God and how he works his plans. Well, that's like salt in the, in the, in the environment there, right? Like, like we're making the environment better because we're working against some of those things that make an environment uh, depressing and uh, you know, frustrating and undesirable. Jesus says, I, I, you're salt. Be salty where you're at, right? The implication for us, if we're living this out, is that we must avoid being diluted to avoid losing our impact. We must avoid being diluted to avoid losing our impact, right? So Jesus says you are salt, but then challenges us not to lose our effectiveness. So back in Matthew chapter 5, You're salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. Here's the thing about salt, is that it it can't really lose its saltiness because it doesn't change at the compound level. Right? If it changes, then it's no longer salt. So how does it lose its saltiness? Well, it becomes ineffective when it's contaminated with other impure mixtures or becomes oversaturated with other substances, right? So you don't just lose your, your, your saltiness. You don't just lose your flavor. You, you have to become oversaturated with other things that would cause that saltiness not to be experienced anymore, right? So think about it. If you've ever been cooking a dish and you feel like, oh man, I added too much salt there. What's the fix for that? Well, you can't, you can't remove the salt, right? Like you have to add more of whatever it is to try to dilute some of that, right? So we lose our impact in our environments when it comes to this aspect of salt if we become contaminated by being oversaturated with the things of this world where we begin to act like our environment versus improving our environment. We must not lose our distinctiveness, the ways that we flavor our environments with love, grace, and service. The distinct taste of being a Christian is lost if the loves of this world are added as ingredients to our lives. If we're faithfully living out our belief in the promises of God being true within our environments, man, it just, it just radically changes that environment, right? If we're the type of people who believe God's promises and live those out so that people that are around us see the ways that we, we react to circumstances and it's drastically different than how everybody else reacts to their circumstances, Right? When bad things happen, and instead of becoming discouraged or frustrated, we keep turning back to God's control and God's plan and God's goodness. That's counteractive to what we're seeing everybody else doing maybe in that environment. We become this, this salty piece that, that helps others see things in a different light, which kind of leads into what Jesus says secondly. As light, we make sense of our environments with clarity. As light we make sense of our environments with clarity. Jesus isn't just concerned with us improving our environment so that, so that this earthly life can be better, right? Look back in Colossians 4, verse 2. 
before Paul talks about that speech that's seasoned with salt and grace, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, look, um, I'm in jail. Um, I'm, I'm being persecuted, and I am looking for a door. I'm looking for an opportunity to make clear to the people that are in my environment currently who I am and where my hope is, right? He says, pray for me that I would have boldness and clarity in my speech to make known the truths of the gospel, right? To declare the mystery of Christ. I'm in prison, right? Anybody that's thrown into prison would have every seemingly right to think strictly about their situation and how to get out of that situation, right? Paul's transforming what it looks like to be in prison. He says, I'm here for Christ, and I'm looking for opportunities to tell people about him and to tell people why I'm okay with being in prison for him, right? So there's, there's this other aspect of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, I want you to be light. I want you to, to make clear, right? I want you to bring clarity to your environments. Number one, Christians illuminate the present condition of their environments, right? We help people see darkness and light. First John chapter 2, verse 8, it says, At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and I in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and he hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This, this picture here is that when you're in the light, you know where to go, you know where you're going. When you're not, when you're still in the darkness, you're kind of walking about and stumbling around, right? It says, we expose the sinful condition of those around us. This concept of light assumes a state of darkness and a need to illuminate it. So what's our role here? We communicate the hopeful condition of our own souls to help people see how they can come out of their own darkness. Our good deeds are the means for making our light shine. Think about some of the ways that our world is mired in darkness right now and how we illuminate that, right? I, t- I shared with you earlier, uh, when, when you're not a Christian, you wrestle with things like identity and, and purpose and hope and joy, right? Those are things that you're constantly looking for. As Christians, we still have to kind of work through some of that because we're, we're, um, we're, we're still being sanctified, right, in our knowledge of what it means to identify with Christ and to find our joy resting in him. But when you're not a Christian, I mean, you're, you're kind of left to your own devices to try to figure those things out. Who am I? Why am I here? And how do I, how do I satisfy myself for as long as this endures? These are things that the lost world is in darkness about. They don't have answers for, right? Um, they don't have the instruction manual to give answers to these things, right? I, you know, when we, we haven't done it this year because of COVID, but when we've had chances to serve in Sonoy with the events, right? We're the group that knows how to put together all the tents, right? Because Dave and I have the instructions on our phone because we learned years ago, there are no instructions. Somebody lost them years ago. 
And we spent several times, several events trying to put this thing together without instructions. And so we got, we got smart and we looked them up on the internet and we saved them and I can pull them up right now in my Evernote, right? But there's times where we show up and, and guys like that, uh, guys that work for Better Way and other organizations, you get there and they're just kind of like, what do we do? Like, what, what, which piece goes with what? And you, and, and you see them start putting it together and you just walk up and you're like, that's never going to work. Like, like, that's not how you do it, right? And then we, we kind of pull everybody aside and we're like, all right, here's the instructions, right? Like, we need these these poles with the dimples to go in the poles that don't have the dimples, and we start putting it together. Why? Because we have the instructions. We know, what, we know what's happening here. We bring clarity to that situation where everybody else is just kind of stumbling around in darkness. They have no idea how to put this thing together. That, that's how the lost world is, right? And Jesus says, I want you to be a light. Our good works, our, our acts that we perform that are commanded by God in his word, what we're doing is we're showing the world a different kind of life. And even just a light goes a long way in dispelling the darkness, Right? Um, I've taken some of you caving before, way back when, when we were at Mount Gilead, right? We always do this little thing when I've, when I've gone caving where you turn all the flashlights off and you're in the, you know, you're in the bottom of the earth. And I mean, there is no light and it's just complete darkness, right? And you turn on one flashlight or you light one match and all of a sudden, like your eyes are drawn to that light. And all of a sudden, like it seems like it's lighting up so much more than you would ever give the credit for a match to do. There's a group of us that are on a text message string because if you live in Sonoy and you have Georgia power, odds are you're going to have power outages throughout the year, right? So anytime, it starts, anytime the wind blows more than five miles an hour, we're texting each other saying, when do you think we're going to lose power and how long is it going to be out, right? Because for whatever reason, the power goes out a ton around here in the city. And so you have these lights on hand, and when the darkness comes, you turn the light on, right? So to provide some sense of clarity, to provide some sense of direction, a little bit of light can go a long way in our environments. Number two, Christians are illuminating the potential direction for their environments too. So not only do we bring clarity to uh, being able to explain to somebody uh, what it looks like for them to be in darkness and how to come out of that by showing them a different type of life, right? To show them what it looks like to not be in darkness. We give them that potential direction as well. By living out our faith and obedience, we model the possibility of good works through salvation. Says, if you'll live this way, your good works will point people to me to where they end up glorying in me. By living out our faith and obedience, we call others to come humbly to the same God we worship. I told you last week, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. She attracts the world to either persecute her or to join her. Those are the two, those are the two reactions that we get. Right? If we'll live as salt and light, we will attract the attention of the world. The world will either join us or hate us. What Jesus tells us here is that our good deeds, when they spring from a heart submitted to the gospel, they make the gospel more attractive to those who have yet to submit to it. If we'll embody the Beatitudes and model the Sermon on the Mount, the things that we're learning here, the world will take notice and take action, either hating us for being holy, or tasting and seeing that God is good and worthy of praise. The implication here is that we must avoid being hidden to avoid losing our impact. We must not become invisible in our environment where our status as a believer is unknown, right? Every environment that you're in, we have a responsibility to make it known that we are believers, that we are Christians. 
so that everything else that people see from us can be filtered through the fact that this is a Christian, this is a believer. So when they see our good deeds, they know who to give the credit to, right? If we're just doing good deeds and not distinguishing ourselves as Christians, who gets the praise for it? We do, right? There's no recognition or acknowledgement to give that to God because we're just kind of setting ourselves up for our own glory. We have a responsibility to make the people in our environments aware that we're followers of Jesus. We're to be in the world permeating it with a life aligned to the Beatitudes. Think about it this way. When Christians seek to love others, even their enemies, the world tastes the salt and sees the light of the gospel. When Christians respect authority and pray for them, the world tastes the salt and sees the light of the gospel. When Christians give generously to those in need, the world tastes the salt and sees the light of the gospel. When we control our anger, right? We're going to see this in the coming weeks. When we control our lust, when we remain true to our word and don't break our oaths, the world tastes the salt and sees the light of the gospel. The application for us. We don't need to be a question mark Christian. We talked about this in Malachi, right? We talked about the people that we date, the people that we marry, right? That, that we have such a responsibility to make sure that we marry people who love Jesus and follow Jesus and align with his word, right? We don't want to marry question marks. We don't want to date question marks, right? We also don't want to be question marks, right? We should be so salty and so bright in our environments that there's no doubt. We leave no doubt as to whether we follow Jesus or not, right? Two points of application. Number one, as salt, create and leave a distinct and favorable taste to others you interact with. As salt, create and leave a distinct and favorable taste to others you interact with. And then number two, as light, provide clarity for what it means to live life trusting God through your good deeds. So that salt piece is kind of the good deeds. The light piece is the clarity for why we live this way, right? The salt is the experience. People in our environments experience us, and they experience something different, and we make the environment better because of those differences. And then the question gets raised, why why do you live this way? Why are you you acting this way? Why why do you contribute to the environment this way? Well, I'm, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus, right? Um, my life's been radically changed by the gospel. And I know who I am, and I know why I'm here, and I'm content with the fact that God is in control of my life, right? The, the light piece is that we get clarity for why we live in this salty way, why we live the life that we live. I want to close with 1 Peter chapter 2. So it's a parallel passage where I think Peter is obviously borrowing from what he's learned from Jesus and now reteaching it to someone else. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
We don't seek glory for ourselves here, right? We make his excellencies known. We abstain from sin. We conduct our life honorably, right, with these Gentiles. We, we become salt in our environments where we make it better. The Gentiles look around. When they want to speak against us, what does it say they do? They see our good deeds. They glorify God. Jesus desires that for us as his followers, to live our life out in such a way where we are making our environments better and we're bringing clarity to our environments about what it means to exist in a state of darkness and how to cross from that darkness into light forevermore. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this truth. Lord, I want to first thank you that you have given us the greatest identity that we could have. By saving us, you have, you have made us the light of the world. And, and God, help us not to take that lightly. God, we know that Jesus declared himself as the light of the world. And for, for him to bestow that type of title on us, it humbles us. Because so many emotions and feelings uh, are, are what we want to respond with about how we're not worthy for that. We're not capable of that. Like, don't entrust the plan to us. And God, we're so thankful that even by calling us to be your channels of mercy and your channels of light and salt here on this earth, that it's you that's doing it through us. God, you, you haven't left us to, to, to do this in our own capability and power. But God, we are grateful that you've chosen to, to have us participate in it. I can't imagine a better identity or a better purpose than to be a... a a part of participating in your plan to save the world for all eternity. God, help us to embrace this with, with urgency. Lord, that we would see that, that the environments that you've placed us in, the families, the neighborhoods, the workplaces, the schools, God, this has, this has big time application for every single person that's sitting here today, no matter, no matter the age. God, if they're sitting here and they're a Christian, you've given them environments and they have an opportunity to make the environment better, to be salt in that environment, to flavor that environment in such a way where people look around and say, what's the cause of this? What's the reason for this? And for us to be able to be a light in those environments and to tell people it's all about Jesus. It's all about the difference that Jesus has made in our life. God, as we leave today, help us to see our role as salt and light. God, help us to fight to make our environments better, to preserve our environments from being rotten. But God, help us not to be content with just doing good things because if those good things lead to self-glory, then we failed. God, instead, help us to live our life in such a way where when credit is trying to be given to us, we're able to quickly deflect that to you and to use it as an opportunity to declare the excellencies of who you are in our life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.